Sinead Bridgelaw is the founder of SB Holdings, a woman-led global luxury group. She's also the founder of SB Foundation, a nonprofit that aims to reduce the gender inequality gap in South Africa. Sinead received a Bachelor and Master's of Business Science from the University of Cape Town, and she also was a former model, a Miss South Africa 2017 finalist, and has worked at Google in South Africa and Singapore before launching her two companies. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yunil Badiachi. Cool. Thank you, Shanae. Thanks for, for joining us today. Uh, so I think, firstly, where are you from and where did you grow up? So I'm from a small town in KwaZulu-Natal called Borshepston, or what I like to refer to as Sheppy Land. Um, I grew up and I, I schooled in Borshepston, and after matriculation, I moved to Cape Town uh, to start university and lived in Cape Town since. Oh, awesome. So is there, is there a reason? Is it just short for, for Shepston that you call it Sheppy Land? Or is there you know, something to do with animals or sheep? Or is there, is there another reason behind that? <laughs> it, it's a combination of all of it. It's pretty much just a little small town or land of its own with very interesting people. <laughs> and it, like, yeah, it's, it's nothing like any other city. So it's just our, my, my little way of referring to it. Yeah. I can imagine. And, and tell, maybe just um, bef- before we go into the actual, you know, your stuff, tell us a bit about Port Chips and what are they, are they famous for anything? Um, you know, if you're in South Africa, would it be a good place to visit or, or not really, in your opinion? Oh, definitely. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if you've heard of Oribe Gorge. So we have the gorge. Um, yeah, great bungee jumping. I've never bungee jumped, but um, yeah, apparently it's something that's really good. Uh, they have a um, like a suspension bridge as well. Um, there's the Wild Coast Sun, so a casino with Sun, uh, Sun International. Um, yeah, and then just the beaches in general. They're quite good on this end. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I did do the, the bungee jump there. It's pretty pretty scary. Uh, really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's more of a cliff okay. jump. Just jump off the cliff. So <laughs> that was awesome. But cool. Sorry? I, would you suggest doing it? Yeah, I, I love it, but I'm an, an, an adrenaline junkie. So I've done like uh, quite a few bungee jumps. So I don't know if uh, everyone else would. <laughs> okay, it's something that's on my bucket list. I need to just be brave enough. Yeah, you should do it. <laughs> cool, man. Um, so, so you were saying you went to Cape Town. Where, wh- what did you go to Cape Town for? I'm assuming, you know, you went there to study. So what did you study and uh, why did you choose that degree? Okay, so yeah, I initially started with business science honours um, in finance and accounting at the University of Cape Town. And I pretty much just chose it because my high school accounting mark was something ridiculous, like a 98%. So I assumed that accounting was my calling. And like, you know, after all, I was good at it. And um, 
yeah, that decision coupled with a scholarship that I received from one of the big four accounting firms um, just seemed like the right decision to make. I mean, I was 17 years old and it's a bit daunting to figure out the rest of your life at such a young age. Um, but yeah, a year and a half into my degree, I realized that finance and accounting at school and university are very, very different. And it was no longer something that I really enjoyed or even saw myself pursuing a future career in. So um, since the first year to two years of a business science degree is so similar for all majors, um, I was lucky and I was able to switch um, majors and I decided to go into marketing statistics and economics. And yeah, it was the best decision that I ever made, really. And it allowed me to graduate in 2016 in the top 20 in my class. And I was able to get my first life-changing job. So it's something that I probably wouldn't have been able to achieve if I wasn't brave enough to switch majors. Yeah, and, and I think that those two important points have, have come up before in other interviews. I think the one was with Dean, who's, who's doing his Harvard MBA, and he says, you know, when, you, when you're 17, it's so difficult to decide what you want to do with the rest of your life. And the way the schooling system is, is that you have to make that decision when you go to university. And in your case, and in most people's cases, you, you sort of change when you get there because you realize, you know, that what you learn in school and what's, what's happening in the world or in university is quite different. So, so that's really important. Yeah, that, that's, that's an important insight. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, again, it's, it's just a daunting task. And I think what lots of people kind of say or the way that a picture is painted of how something is and when you're actually in that situation it's very different so yeah you know when you realize don't be scared to to go ahead and just change yeah yeah and um you said the next step was you had a life-changing job and i know that uh, now you're a you're an entrepreneur how did that transition happen because because if you really enjoyed the job what made you leave you know tell us a bit about that journey um, so yeah, so I was a business associate um, intern at Google and the position was very analytical and it incorporated the elements like of statistics and economics um, from my degree. And my job really was to analyze data trends. So what people search for on Google and then use those trends and insights to advise clients to kind of adopt Google products. So majority of my time was really spent analyzing and contrasting automotive trends, so car trends between South Africa and Singapore. And like, you know, the experience was great. And um, I got to experience self-driving cars and sleep pods. I'm not sure if you've seen the internship, um, but it's exactly, it was exactly like that. And like, you know, game rooms and of course, free food. And, um, but what I was really fascinated about was the entrepreneurial spirit of, the employees at Google. And this is really what encouraged me to start my own company um, after the internship. Yeah. And was this internship in South Africa or which Google office were you, were you based at during this internship? Uh, so South Africa and Singapore. Okay. That, that's really cool. So I think, uh, and that's quite right. You know, I, I know that Google also have that policy where they, they allow 20% of work time to be focused on um, the employees' own ventures or, or some value add. Um, that, that, that they'd like to focus on. So it, it really does encourage entrepreneurship. Um, you, you then transition, I guess, into the, the fashion company. Is that something that you always wanted to do or was that something that, you know, through, through studying or through working at Google, you, you identified that opportunity? How did you come about making that decision and tell us a bit about the company? 
Okay, so I always knew that I wanted to start my own company. I just never really knew what it is that I wanted to do. And um, fashion was just something that I was always passionate about from the time I was a little kid. Like, I mean, I remember trying on my mom's shoes or kind of always trying to convince my parents that even as a, like a 10 or an 11 year old, that a pair of like 12 centimeter heels were appropriate for me to wear. They were not too high. So I think um, I, I just kind of knew that fashion is something that came naturally to me and something that I wanted to pursue. So yeah, so I started SB Holdings and SB Holdings is a women-led global luxury group. So I have two of my own personal luxury brands. So Shanae Bridge Lal, which is a luxury footwear brand and Bridgere, which is a contemporary women's wear brand. And they both form part of the portfolio companies of SB Holdings. And transitioning from general business really to the corporate industry, um, or to fashion uh, was challenging, but I mean, it wasn't impossible. And uh, in order to do this, I interned at TFG for a while. Uh, so TFG is currently the biggest retailer um, in South Africa. So I did this just to get my foot into the fashion door and then went on to pursue a post-grad certification in footwear and bag technology at Polymoda in Italy. So this allowed me to source uh, my manufacturers and kind of just get an introduction into the luxury industry because it's a very closed industry unless you have someone who is in Europe who can give you that direct connection to a factory it's very difficult to get into it. So I leveraged the, um, you know, the postgrad degree in Italy and asked my, um, yeah, my, my supervisors, my professors to please assist me with giving me an introduction to the factories in Italy because um, that's, that's kind of how it works in most European countries. Um, yeah, so maybe not really the traditional route, but then I went on and I completed my master's in business science when I got back to South Africa and I based my dissertation um, on the luxury fashion industry. So yeah, that's pretty much how I was able to transition. Okay. Wow, that, that's really interesting. So, so I'm assuming then with um, the connections that you made that side, you import the luxury fashion goods um, into South Africa and it's sort of um, like you're, you're, you're a reseller um, into, this, into this country. Is that like the business model? Have I got the business model right there? Uh, no. So actually, it's, it's very strange. So I don't really have any South African customers. So I'm just based in South Africa, but my target market is most of America, Canada, Australia, and Europe. So I just use, well, so pretty much I have the company, so the shoe company specifically that operates out of Italy, um, and then, yeah, we distribute to wherever is needed. And then I have the clothing company, which is um, just bridge luxury, so not as high-end, um, but also majority of the, the target audience really is American consumers. So there isn't that much of a market in South Africa. Uh, there are a few people who consume luxury in South Africa, but not to the extent of say America where our version of what we see as a luxury good, say, you know, something that's a, pair, a dress that's 5,000 Rand is seen as very expensive in South Africa. Whereas it's a normal everyday purchase in majority of America or a European country. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So sort of tailoring to your market because at the end of the day, you do need to be profitable. So that, that makes sense. Uh, and, and then I think in, in terms of starting your business, was it, was it extremely difficult um, starting because like you said, it's incorporated in South Africa. 
getting the legal stuff done, the funding, um, all of the sort of the planning behind it? Did you find that really difficult and time consuming? Um, well, not really, no. So, so starting a company in South Africa is relatively easy and it can be done online because unlike most European countries, there are no like minimum startup capital requirements. So like, for example, if you're going to incorporate in like France or in Switzerland, you need to have a minimum startup capital with a certain number of shareholders. And that's how most co companies would be incorporated. Whereas in South Africa, you know, you just go to the CIPC website and you upload whatever documents that are needed and you can register your company. So it's very simple in South Africa, really. Um, but yeah, um, I think that was, I, I started with a business plan, um, but most business plans, you know, have to be quite flexible. So I had to accommodate lots of changes along the way. So what you put down on paper is really not always what you're going to get. So you, there are many unforeseen uh, circumstances, uh, especially like COVID. And yeah, I faced many challenges uh, in the process. So it is something that's simple to start, but you have to be prepared to deal with everything along the way. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really a great story. I think um, you, you form part of a small minority in Africa as a female entrepreneur. I'm actually doing a a startup accelerator program for, for women in business at the end of the month. And the stats around it was 18% of entrepreneurs are female-led or, or startups are female-led in Africa. So, so well done on that. And uh, that, that's really awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> quite a challenge. <laughs> no, I, I can imagine. Um, you also started an NGO um, shortly after your, you know, your, your fashion business. Um, Tell, tell me a bit about that. How, is, how has that been for you and, and is this sort of your passion project? Uh, so yes, yeah, it is my passion project. You know, I, I started the SB Foundation to help girls, um, to, well, to really just get rid of the gender stereotypes and to reduce the gender inequality uh, gap in South Africa. So yeah, it started off as, as my passion project. Um, I self-funded it for the first like one and a half years. Um, and I didn't really have an intention of registering or expanding it. And since so many people wanted to become involved after a few months, I decided that I was going to register. I formed a board of directors. And yeah, now we operate in four provinces around the country with about 50 volunteers. Wow, that's amazing. And what sort of projects um, do you guys do? And um, has, has there been a lot of support from government and, and private sector regarding this initiative or has it been, you know, you sort of on your own, raising your own financing, raising your own funding? So, um, yeah, so I mean, a lot of, of the funding that we receive come from the private sector now. So um, we just started like last year receiving funds from private sector. Prior to that, it was just uh, self-funded and we did quite a bit of, self, uh, of fundraising as well. Um, yeah, so... At the moment, in terms of projects, we, we have about five projects that we work on, majority of which consist of mentorship and tutoring um, of children, predominantly girls that are in high school, and um, pr providing them with those very necessary, important um, you know, guidance that they require and that they don't necessarily get at high school level. So uh, we have a program called Guide Our Girls where we take our matric girls and we help them with career guidance. Um, and 
trying to get them to make an informed career decision because I mean as I mentioned I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was 17 and lots of people don't know that as well so we try to help and mentor girls to make sure that they make that correct decision and help them in whatever way possible um, but yeah our milestone first really has been that we actually started to fund tertiary education uh, for two of our goals from the start of this year so that's been very exciting um, yeah so hopefully we can continue to to fund university for other goals going forward yeah that that's that would be amazing you're doing some really awesome work through the ngo and i think you know starting to starting to pick up pace as you were saying expanding you know in four provinces and outcomes covid 19 how how has both your businesses been affected by by covid and do you think one has been you know more affected than the other yeah, well, unfortunately, COVID has had a negative impact on, on both the SB Foundation um, and on SB Holdings. So with SB Holdings um, portfolio companies, our route to market was via boutiques and third-party retailers, so most of whom cancelled and stopped taking orders from brands for the, for the remainder of the year. I'm sure you've heard, like, you know, your very famous luxury, um, like luxury brands um, are what well, specifically luxury retailers, so brick and mortar stores, um, are filing for bankruptcy and they aren't doing very well because of the COVID crisis. So we've unfortunately been impacted um, by that. So it's also led me to restructure my route to market and to focus on e-commerce and to di a direct-to-consumer model. And with the SB Foundation, many of our private and corporate donors have actually retracted their commitment for the next financial year because, of course, when a company is not doing too well, that's kind of the first thing that they look to cut out for, um, you know, like donations to nonprofits are the first thing they, they look to cut out on. So apart from that, some of our volunteers have resigned due to relocation. Um, majority of them uh, were high school or university students predominantly so they would live in a certain area and then due to COVID they're now back with their family so they can no longer volunteer um, so yeah it's a tough time for everyone globally and there are many factors that are really beyond our control and do you think that things are gonna sort of pick up and get back to normal you know the old normal soon or, or are you foreseeing that your business model needs to fundamentally change going forward I think I'm business model has to change going forward. Um, we've taken the steps to already do that. Uh, we're considering possibly narrowing down some of our programs at the foundation. Um, and yeah, with SB Holdings, our, um, our portfolio companies, we, we're really looking, re looking at the business model and trying to go with e-commerce and direct to consumer. Um, yeah, I, I think that's gonna be the way going forward, um, even post pandemic. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with that. Um, another another key aspect or theme that we often speak about is you know leveraging the people around us and we networking essentially, which you've you've touched on I think earlier when you when you spoke about you went to Italy to try and get into that circle and get in touch with those suppliers. What is what has been your experience with networking? Are you are you fairly are, are you someone that's it, it comes to you naturally? Has it been difficult for you? And what would you suggest are some of the key things for people who do struggle with networking from your perspective? I'm actually very shy. So I struggled to speak to strangers. So networking has always been a challenge for me. Um, so yeah, for those struggling too, I would suggest going to business conferences. Uh, this helped me. And I think it, it, it's very likely to help others too, because they somewhat force you to engage with others. 
And once you do it a few times, it becomes progressively easier. So I'm still uncomfortable when I have to speak to someone new, but I have improved from, you know, when I started. So that's something like you could consider. Yeah, I think the insight there is put yourself in an uncomfortable situation so that you get more used to it. it sounds like that that's what you were doing um, when you attended those business yeah. conferences. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, especially with, with Italy, like, so, you know, I went to another country <laughs> all on my own, um, had no one, and I ended with a degree and with four really close friends who came to visit South Africa for the first time. So you just have to put yourself in those difficult situations and just push yourself to to do better and to try and do whatever you can to get whatever it is that you want. Because if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice, great advice, especially around networking. Have you had a, a mentor in your life that sort of guided you along and given you these little bits of information or these insights along the way, uh, formal or informal? No, so I've never really had a mentor. Um, I read books, watch TED Talks, I listen to podcasts and like really just seek advice and comfort from my family and friends. And this usually assists me when I need guidance. So some industries require mentors. Um, I completely agree. While in other industries, you don't really need a mentor. And having a mentor could actually become like complicated. So, for example, in the fashion industry, a mentor may influence the design of my product, for example. So making it less original or personal to me. Um, whereas if you're looking at, say, the banking industry or the construction industry, um, where experience is very important, I think a mentor may perhaps be more beneficial. Um, so no, I've, I've never had a mentor myself, but I have personally mentored um, the girls at the foundation and specifically the two girls whose university we funded for this year. Okay, that's, that's really cool. So I think mentorship... Um, at least in my eyes, comes from two places. The one is that you've described where, you know, it's very much around the business aspect of things and succeeding in your professional career. But for example, when, you know, you, you needed to reevaluate your business model or whenever you experience some sort of challenge or difficulty, is there someone specific that you go to uh, that you sort of have the discussion with to see and, and bounce ideas off? Or has that always been something where, you know, you've, you've experienced COVID and then you'd go to like a Google or books or podcasts. Um, so when you, when you are faced with these obstacles, what is your first go-to? Is it a person? Is it a book? I think, I think that's, that's also another, another aspect of mentorship. Yeah. So, so majority of the time it would be a book or a podcast or Google, YouTube. Um, but a lot of the time it would be me just going to my family. So my parents are entrepreneurs and they've been doing this for many years. So I have the luxury of being able to ask them for their advice, which I know many people don't have. So I've been lucky in that sense. Um, but apart from that, I feel like, as you mentioned, there's only 18% of women that are entrepreneurs in South Africa. And apart from um, having women mentors that you could go and look to for advice, um, it's a bit difficult, or in most cases, and in my experience, trying to find a male mentor who understands luxury fashion in South Africa is quite difficult. So I feel that there's also just a lack of a sufficient or a, like a mentor that has the experience that I require in my industry, because 
it's something that I'm trying to do and that I don't think anyone else has been able to do this. So it's a bit difficult because everyone's kind of in the dark. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's probably why it's harder to find um, mentors in the space, especially in South Africa, I guess, um, because of these. Yeah. So, and, and what does your, what does SP Holdings look like five to 10 years from now? Is it still a fashion retailer? Are you looking to change the business model? So if everything goes your way, what, what can we expect from it five to 10 years from now? Okay. Well, right now the goal is just to get through the COVID pandemic and, you know, if that works out well, then the long-term goal is for SP Holdings to continue to add other luxury brands to our portfolio and to become the world's largest women-led global luxury group. So I know that sounds quite ambitious, but yeah, something similar to current market leaders like LVMH, Caring, Richmond. So yeah, and in addition to that, also with the foundation, I've linked my for-profit companies to my non-profit in unusual ways. So like incorporating prints that illustrate gender equality and having a portion of revenue donated to the foundation. So I'm a firm believer of the more you get, the more you should give. So as my profitable companies grow, I'd like to scale my philanthropy and impact the lives of more women and more children. That's, that's amazing. And, and I love that ambition. I think, I think that's, that's something that's really, really needed, um, especially in Africa, because I, I, whenever I have discussion with, you know, other corporates or young professionals, I feel that as South Africans or as Africans, we always think too small. We're trying to create businesses in South Africa or in, in your specific country. We never think global. We never think like, I want to be the biggest and best out there, which, which is really, really needed. So yeah, that's, that's so great to hear that you're saying that and that you want to be a, a huge big name in the world. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. And I, I think lastly, my, my final question would then be for any aspiring female entrepreneurs who maybe not only want to go into fashion, but something related or similar or just entrepreneurship in general, what, what words of advice would you, would you give to them um, in terms of building a business, whether it's a startup, uh, which is profitable or an NGO? I think South Africa, sorry, did you say as, a, as an NGO or as a for-profit or no, I said as either NGO or for-profit organization, what, what advice would you give to someone who's looking, a female who's looking to enter that space and grow a business? Okay. Um, South Africa and Africa as a whole really has so much talent and I'd encourage anyone to enter the space if they are passionate about what they're doing and if they're willing to work hard and to really be resilient because starting a business is not easy. You need to really have a thick skin and you need to know that it's not all like you know walk so you're going to be happy but you're not going to be happy every day and i think that's what many people don't realize they think that it's all money and success and this great lifestyle but it really isn't so you really just you need to be willing to be resilient in the first few years in order to yield the benefit in the future and regarding starting a nonprofit in south africa I think it's something that um, requires a lot of commitment. So don't be hasty to just go ahead and start a nonprofit. I think you should start small, don't register it, 
start and give back and you know do your own personal philanthropy and once you realize the impact of your actions and the commitment that's required to have a registered nonprofit and if you understand that responsibility then go ahead and register and yeah regarding starting a for-profit company uh, specifically in the fashion industry like i mentioned south africa has so much talent but i see that um a common problem that we really have in South Africa, and I think the reason why many people haven't um, built a luxury brand that's been um, scalable around the world is because lots of brands in South Africa lack the scalability around the world. Um, lots of people build their brand only for South Africa and they don't have a global perspective of the brand, which makes it difficult for international investors to come in and invest in the brand because no one around the world is really going to want to buy the brand if it's like specific to South African or African, um, you know, the, the South African or the African consumer only. So incorporate your, uh, your heritage, but also make it scalable in a way that allows you to to build a, a global brand because South Africa is definitely capable of it. We just need uh, like fashion designers and business people who are able to think more global. Well, wow, Chanel. Um, a very, very great and a very interesting episode. You know, uh, someone who has founded a luxury uh, fashion brand, you know, of, of you know, of all ideas, uh, I would never have thought of such an idea, you know, very unique. And she has a great way in which she approaches life and her decision-making, which I think will come out in this discussion now. But before we, we go, go there, uh, what were the key, some of the key things that you found from this episode that were insightful for you? Yeah, I think I think you touched on on the first point already, Jonathan. I I really enjoy the the way that she sort of systematically breaks down different components of understanding a business or an industry or wherever she wants to go, and then she sort of focuses her energy on on learning those different key components, and you know before just jumping in. Um, that yeah. that I think is it's quite calculated, which which I quite liked. Um, another big thing, and I think we'll, we'll also have the discussion, but just at a high level is, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. I, I really believe when, you, when you're giving back to the communities, when you're giving back to the stakeholders, to the people around you, uh, it always comes back to you in a, in a positive way. And this is a great, great example of, of, of that situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally agree, Chanel. And, you know, I, I'm just going to sort of break it down in sort of a timeline, uh, and, and we'll look at her university time, right? When she was talking about choosing what to study, uh, she poses the question, and we constantly talk about this on this show, how do you decide what to do for the rest of your life at the age of 17, you know? And um, a second concept that comes out that I'm particularly interested in was the fact that she wasn't afraid to change. You know, she went in saying she wanted to study accounting and finance, but later pivoted to something else because she just didn't like what she was doing. You know, that takes a lot of bravery, you know, a lot of maturity, you know, uh, it's not easy to, 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 to switch uh, uh, programs and stuff like that. You know, what are your thoughts on that uh, initial? Yeah. You know, I think we, we're all brought up with this thing of like, once you, 
which, which is not a bad thing, but it's, you know, once you decided to do the see it through, finish it, finish it. Um, and, and I think we, especially nowadays, we, we do need to be, and, and I love using the word, we do need to be more agile. And, and I think she, she's done that and she's a great success story of somebody who transitioned, who pivoted um, during university and still ended up quite successful. And I think that reminds me of, um, you know, one of the other speakers, I can't remember uh, exactly who it was, but they said, I'd rather, the way I'd select my, my career is choose what I'm really good at, you know, because that's where I'm going to, uh, that's what I'm going to excel in. And, and this is a great example of somebody who, who found their niche or found something that they're really good at and that they're passionate about. And they weren't afraid to transition um, into that space. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, the fact that you can't choose something that you, you you can't decide for the rest of your life, I think the mindset also has to change. Uh, You know, the idea that uh, once you study something, you're stuck in it for the rest of your life is is a bit flawed. You know, there, there are many ways to pivot out of things, even if you finish off a degree that you don't like. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're stuck there. You can still do, you know, short courses to pivot elsewhere. There are other tools you can use um, to change uh, something that you don't like. And I think it actually happens to a lot of people in your late twenties. You know, you realize like four or five years into your career that you you're you're not finding the value that you were expecting to find in that career. And 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 often it's it's, it's the time to pivot. So pivoting is possible. And you shouldn't always feel stuck um, in a certain thing. Yeah. And, and I think another big point is once she, once she understood, you know, where she wanted to go or what she wanted to do, she then took time to actually explore the industry, explore the practical elements of it. You know, she went as far to actually go to a school in Italy to build a network, to, to learn a little bit more and then come home and, and use those skills to develop a business. And, and I think yeah. that's something that, that we should do. And I mean, we don't know, not everyone, I guess, can go to Italy or whatever, but even working <laughs> in Truworths, right? Uh, working in the Truworths group, understanding those sort of things. So choosing your career, if you know that you want to be an entrepreneur, when you're making career decisions, try to pivot yourself or put yourself in positions where you're understanding the market that you eventually want to build a business in. I think that was a, yeah. a really big takeaway as well for me. Yeah, no, she shows great maturity. And I think it's also a consequence of goal setting and breaking down the steps on how she's going to actualize those goals. Because uh, you talk about the, the postgraduate st- uh, studies in Italy that came off the fact that she needed uh, connections and suppliers in Europe and to know people in, that, in, that, in those spaces. So she did that postgraduate uh, to sort of like as the step towards to get to that goal. Uh, and for example, when she d- does the internship at TFG, uh, it was almost, she knew she wanted to be in fashion, but she didn't obviously understand the environment and she had never worked in the environment before. So she decided to take the step of doing the internship so that she can actually get to the goal of understanding the fashion industry before she started her own business, which was so mature. And um, I, I think that's how we're supposed to look at, uh, at career decisions, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 you know, as you were chatting before that, that analogy was so true. And, and I thought about the case, I think it was a financial director at Burger King, who actually then went into the business, the business wasn't doing too well. And they looked at the valuation of Burger King versus McDonald's. And they said, you know, surely we can't be, I think the number was like 10, uh, you, you know, we can't be 10 times less valuable than our, our biggest competitor. And he, he went into the business, he, 
he, he was a janitor. He worked, um, you know, doing the flies. He did everything. And he gathered, gathered the insights um, from the operational aspect of the business to then transform it at a strategic level, which is something that a lot of us don't do. We, we often come from a top-down approach. You know, we, we look at the strategy and then we say, how do we operationalize? Um, and, and what I like is that she explored the operations of her industry and um, the businesses that she eventually wanted to go into. And from that, uh, it helped inform her strategic decisions. Yeah, no, brilliantly put, Shneel. And, uh, you know, her foundation, also a very important part of this interview, the SB Foundation. She focuses on, uh, I think it's gen- gender equality, and she, she helps a lot of uh, young girls, which I think is amazing. But just as a general concept, Shanil, I don't know if someone has actually scientifically researched this, but there's, there's sort of like a, a, a positive reaction to giving. Giving isn't there. Like the more you give, it seems like the more you get back, uh, at least in my own personal experience. Like uh, what has been yours, maybe? Now, I, I 100% agree. So, so I think, you know, there's, there's obviously the, the qualitative aspect of it that, you know, as a, as a human being, when you're helping others, you do feel better about it. You feel good about what you're doing. But also from a, from a business point of view, it does make a lot of sense. If you look at, uh, I think it's Tommy's, um, those fairly cheapest shoes, uh, for every pair that you buy, I know that they give away a pair to, to someone in need. And when you center your business around your community, uh, so she's, she's lucky in that she's got two separate businesses, but I think you as an entrepreneur, when you start centering things around your community and, and the people that you're essentially involved with, whether it's through you know, enablers or a customer or whatever it is, um, the, the overall longevity of your business or the overall value and sustainability of your business is, is always going to grow because you become a, a, an integral part of your community. Yeah, yeah, because people just want you to succeed, right? Like, it, it, just, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you, you have more to say on, on, on that giving concept, but, but I just want to quickly also touch on uh, mentorship, you know, because uh, she highlights that, that she, she doesn't have any mentors, but I, I just think that's a consequence of, you know, just how we define mentorship. I think we often like sitting with someone, chatting with someone, knowing the person who's mentoring you. Uh, but I, I think when she talks about podcasts and YouTube videos, I think it actually highlights how mentorship has evolved from uh, a couple of years back. Because I, I listen to financial advice videos from YouTube. And I, I think th- those people mentor me, uh, even though they've never met me. So, so I think that was very interesting. Uh, I don't know. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think the notion that you need to, to personally know your mentor or that the meeting needs to be a one-to-one uh, physical or, or otherwise interaction is, is slowly you know, getting outdated. And, and as you're saying, maybe the new digital or the new norm around mentorship is acquiring these different aspects of knowledge from podcasts, from YouTube videos, or from these other places. It's uh, almost like democratizing mentorship um, in some instances, if, if you think about it in that way, which, which I guess is, is the new thing. Cause, cause I learn a lot from, from podcasts, from other things like that. And I, and I mean, the reason for starting this podcast is, is essentially that, right? We, we'd like to mentor people who, who would otherwise not have access to um, these sort of people, entrepreneurs, um, corporates, people who've climbed the corporate ladder, et cetera. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally, totally agree, Chanel. Uh, I think this podcast is a, a perfect example of mentorship without actually having a, a, a relationship, a physical relationship with, 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 the, with other people. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at yp underscore Africa. That's yp underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, yp underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week. Thank you.